Hello and welcome to the Meet the Masters podcast presented by Scale Up Milwaukee. Meet the Masters is an interview series that highlights entrepreneurs, business owners, and CEOs and their successful expansions and stories of growth. This series is presented by Scale Up Milwaukee, an initiative of the Greater Milwaukee Committee whose focus is on transforming the culture of growth in the region. Scale Up does this by hosting impactful events and business accelerators designed to infuse growth into every corner and help spread inclusive economic prosperity. You can find out more about Scale Up at scaleupmilwaukee.org. This episode features an interview with Dr. Debbie Allen, President and CEO of DNA Network, specializing in coaching, educating, and honing the skills of executive leaders of small businesses in areas of leadership, human resources, and organizational infrastructure development. This interview originally took place on March 25th, 2018. I am, I'm actually more excited than usual, and I'm also more nervous than usual. <laughs> Today's conversation is with someone who I've actually got to spend some time with. And uh, don't tell any of the other masters I said this, but she, she's my favorite. <laughs> I fully expect that, that we're going to have a good time, we're going to learn a lot, uh, we're going we're gonna to leave inspired and invigorated, and I'm just going to warn you to be careful. It's a little slippery outside, so even though you're going to want to run to your cars and like get started, take your time, because I don't want you to slip. So good morning to Dr. Debbie Allen. Uh, I'm so excited for this conversation. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Let's set some ground rules. Okay. We're all friends. Can we call you Debbie for this conversation? Absolutely. Hi, Debbie. Hello, Elmer. Oh, I love it. So just to lay some uh, context, it is Women's Entrepreneurship Week. Yes. And um, that adds some value to how incredible your story is. Uh, Right now, something like 11 million businesses are owned by women. And that's going to be obviously a combination of, of businesses that are owned by couples and where the, the, the female spouse has the majority share, and that's going to be solo women entrepreneurs, that's going to be groups of women that own businesses, and so on. More than one million of those 11 million mm. are businesses in the retail industry, which I think fits uh, what Debbie does. This is exciting. Women-owned firms now lead growth in eight of the top 13 industries, reflecting a continued diversification. Uh, in fact, women of color are driving overall growth with 79% of new businesses owned by women of color. African-American women alone currently own more businesses than all other minority women combined. Wow. So you're in great company in terms <laughs> of ownership, but you are spectacular and exemplary in terms of growth. Let's start at the beginning. You were born in Milwaukee. No, I was born in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Yes. And moved to Milwaukee at the age of five. And I was so proud of where I was born. Um, when I first came to Milwaukee, I went to Ninth Street School. And um, they would always ask me, ask me my name, and I would say, oh, I'm Deborah Moore. And I'm from Spartanburg, South Carolina. <laughs> so I became known as Lil Spartanburg. <laughs> OK, hold on. Let me make sure I write that down. <laughs> And your parents were, they were not entrepreneurs. 
Um, no, no. In fact, um, when we came to Milwaukee, um, my mom and dad separated. And, um, and so my mom was just a working mom. You know, we, we um, were sent off to school. She went off to work. And many times she had to work at night. So we were home alone. But we, when we came here, we came and stayed with an aunt. And that aunt was an entrepreneur. Um, her husband was a military guy, and he had retired, and, they, and she was a retired nurse, so they built a, um, not built, but owned and operated a bar, John and Eva's Dream Bar, and was actually on the, like, the 11th and Vine area, which is now kind of the freeway, because it was taken away for, because of the freeway. Um, but um, they had the bar on the first level, they lived in the back, and then we lived upstairs. So all of my childhood life while I was here, I've seen her um, own and operate a business. So you had this example of uh, a powerful woman doing something incredibly hard. Absolutely. But if you came home and said, Mom, I'm going to start a bar, what would her reaction have been? <laughs> it's like when I came home and said, Mom, I'm going to start a McDonald's. Yeah. I'm going to buy a McDonald's. And she says, what? What about 30 and out? <laughs> so at that particular time, when I uh, first, first purchased uh, McDonald's, my first McDonald's restaurant, I had worked for Wisconsin Gas Company for almost 20 years. And, um, and in fact, I had worked my way up through the company and um, I worked for the VP of HR and I was slated to be his successor. So once he retired, I would take over his job. And so my parents knew you know, my, my path that I was trying to take. But when I came home and I said, oh, I'm gonna buy a McDonald's, she's like, what about 30 and out? You know, because they've all worked 30 years in their field and then they retired. And I said, I have to try this opportunity. So, you know, you, you, you glanced over all of childhood, teenage years, <laughs> as though it was an obvious choice. You did everything right. You were a good student in elementary and middle and high school. And, and then you graduated and you said, okay, I'm going to go get a job. <laughs> so, um, I did school. I was a pretty good student. In um, high school, I think I was um, not as motivated, so I was a BC student. But um, throughout my career and as a student, I was like skipped a few times. So uh, I don't know if you remember back in the day we used to have the A and the B. So yet we were in the fifth, 5A or 5B. Well, I was going to um, junior high school right before they were switching that over. So, so either you got pushed up a half a grade or you got pushed back a half a grade. So in my instance, um, I was a, a late student. So my f birthday was in February. So I was, I was really the B side, but they pushed me up. So now I'm very young and I'm in junior high school. I get out of junior high school, I go to college, to um, high school, and um, I start in the 10th grade, and in the 11th grade, they say, well, you know you have enough credits to just graduate. You wanna graduate? So I graduate, so now I'm pushed up again, and, um, and in fact, my brother's two years older than me, and we graduated from high school the exact same year. So here I am, I'm just barely turned 16, and I'm graduating from high school, and, um, and I'm going to UWM. And I actually had to have permission to go to UWM. Mm -hmm. So I get to UWM and it's um, this auditorium full of people, like 300 people in this auditorium. The teacher is up on the platform with a microphone and I'm scared out of my wits because I'm like, I don't even understand this environment. And so it was a little overwhelming for a 16 year old I whose parents had, had not, my mom had not gone to college at all. And so um, I decided that I think I'll work first. <laughs> and I went out and got a job. So when you come home, so even before then, you come home and say, you know, Mom, they're, they're asking me to skip a grade or that I can graduate early. Is her reaction, well, of course, it's Debbie. Or is it, 
wow, you're special. I mean, what is the, what's the tone in your house? Um, I think it's the, yeah, of course, it's Debbie, because mm -hmm. um, anytime I would do something and I would go home and I'd say, Mom, so how did I do? And she would always say, show off. <laughs> Love it. Because <laughs> I always had to take it to another level. <laughs> I love it. So I think, I feel, like, I feel like rushing through things, going fast is a theme, and being a little bit of a show off is going to be a theme. And always ahead of my time. Mm -hmm. You know, always ahead. I love it. Okay, so you get to UWM, you're overwhelmed. Absolutely. You know, it, this, it's, it's not necessarily a good fit for that moment in your life. Mm -hmm. And then you go get a job. Yes. And you get a job with Wisconsin Gas? Um, well, first McDonald's. <laughs> I was a cashier at McDonald's for a while on uh, Wisconsin Avenue. And then I get a job at, um, I always have to get this chronologized, right. Um, it was first um, a U.S. Bank, U.S. Bank. So I became a MasterCard authorizer for oh, U.S. Right. Bank. And um, from there I went to the American Red Cross. And so I remember when I was at Red Cross, I thought it was the best job ever. Um, I made $5 an hour, but what was so great was that I walked in the door with four weeks of vacation. I was excited about that. <laughs> and I was a word processor. That's what I did. And I was the worst speller ever. So back then, there were no computers. There was no spell check. There was a mad card. I don't even know if y'all know what that means, <laughs> a mad card machine. So you type, and you press a button, and it spits out the input. And if it's wrong, you got to type it all over, it all over again. Over. Right. And so um, I saw an opportunity to um, work at Wisconsin Gas and customer service. It was a face-to-face -face customer service center at Capitol Court. And it was a part-time job, but my strategy was this. I was making $5. This job was $10. I could make, work 30 hours here, still make more money and less hours, work less hours. And then hopefully um, find a way to work myself into the company at, on a full-time basis. During this time, so you're already thinking uh, strategically about what you're going to do with yourself. Absolutely. Did you have a side hustle? Did you say, you know, I'm pretty good at, you know, baking some cookies. I'm going to sell these cookies on the weekends. Was there any part of you that, that thought, I'm going to figure out some other ways to make money? What Absolutely. Were... So I had business cards. And um, so I'm a singer. And um, I had a business card with a grand piano on it. And I would offer to sing at whatever event you had. Um, you could even hire me for your funeral. You can prepay me. <laughs> I'd make sure it was taken care of. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd make you proud, okay? <laughs> um, that was one, one business that I, that I had. And then the other one was called, um, um, they both were called Nevada Enterprises, but the other one had to do with um, throwing parties. So I would rent out like um, pool parties. I would rent out Lincoln Park's pool and then just throw a pool party for friends and whatever and bring food and charge money for people to come in. So, you know, I, I do pretty good research. And these <laughs> kinds of off-the-books enterprises aren't obvious to, to find. So I like to mm -hmm. hear about them. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the first time you ever made your own dollar. Oh, the first time I made my own dollar was with Nevada Enterprises. Yes. With the um, singing. The singing. And it was, I was singing for weddings. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they paid me a lot to sing for, well, it was 100 bucks. I thought it was a lot at that time. They that paid is me a, whole a lot, lot to sing this one song. <laughs> Do you remember what song it was? Um, um, I got to remember. Um, it's one with Luther Vandross, uh, because I actually did a duet with someone. Wow. Um, Here and now? No, no. I'll remember it a little, okay. a little bit. And mm -hmm. feel free to just 
Break when out. I figure it out. And just, so, yeah, just jump on it. I have known to do that. Yeah. Known to do that <laughs> we won't stop. You. Oh, and by the way, this is meant to be a conversation. So when, when you have questions, uh, please do chime in. So you are, you've got your side hustle. Mm -hmm. You make your way to a part-time job paying $10 an hour at, we, at, at Wisconsin Gas. Correct. Mm -hmm. uh, things are going really well. Yes. Why mess it up and, and, and go, to, go to school? Well, because by that time, um, I had found my way into a full-time job. So here's another strategic move I made. So the part-time job was paying $10 an hour. It was in customer service, and I dealt with people face-to-face. Um, there was an opportunity to go full-time um, in the customer service department, but it was in a call center environment. And, but that, that job only paid $8.50, but I could add 10 more hours, get insurance, so then I made that strategy move and I said, okay, here's my way of getting into the company full time. Um, then at that particular time, um, I'm also involved in church. And the particular church that I went to, um, the minister was just phenomenal at promoting education and development and just you know, if you can't find a job, make a job. He just really pushed us to be our best selves. You know, and he said, if you buy a Cadillac, you need to own the house with the garage to put it in. You mm. can't buy a Cadillac and put it on the street, park it on the street. <laughs> so we were always really pushed to, to, to excel. And the one thing everybody wanted to be able to do was he had a habit of um, on Sunday mornings, he would have, have the youth come up and he would read their report card. And you know he would read the grades off, and everybody wanted to be the person that stood up in in front in front of the pulpit while he read their grades off, and everybody clapped and gave him accolades. So we were working just to be able to to get our report card read in the class. So we were really pro education. And then um, his comment was always he always told us um, it's not about what what college you're going to go to, or or if you're going to go to college, it's what college are you going to go to. So there was no ever an assumption that you would not go to college. That was your lot in life. You had to do that. So I was pushed, and I said, hey, I got to just get in school. Even though I'm working, I mm -hmm. got to get in school. So I, I, I think I'm the best person at taking advantage of tuition reimbursement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I rode that wave forever. <laughs> so you're working full time. Mm -hmm. You're going to school. Uh, you're hanging out. You're throwing pool parties. You're singing at weddings and funerals and, mm -hmm. and every other kind of event. Yes. But in the back of your mind, you have an idea. And that idea at that time, I think, was 30 and done, 30 and out, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So there, eventually, more and more opportunities come to you. You keep rising up the ranks at Wisconsin Gas. You put on special projects. There's more and more attention given to your excellence. Um, when you're going home on the weekends, having dinner with your mom, how does she feel about what you're telling her you're doing? Is she, is she excited about the plan that you're working or does it, does it deviate from what her expectations were for you? Uh, it didn't deviate from her expectations, um, but I'd have to say that um, she, she was always engaged and interested in what it was that I was doing and then always kind of felt like, what are you doing now? It was kind of the thing, you know, I know you're trying to do something bigger and better and grander because that's just how you operate. So now what is it? Now what is it? And, mm -hmm. and that's what was happening with our conversation. But one thing I do want to kind of back up and say is um, even though I was doing really well and I was excited about what I was doing and I had great opportunities, 
it wasn't until 1993 that it all came together and it had a, a meaning for me. So in 1993, I was, I was sitting in this guy's car and he's playing a tape. Um, and the tape is of um, a motivational speaker slash preacher named Miles Monroe. And, um, and I'm listening to this tape. Now I'm in the car because I'm really trying to get a date. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were in the car. I think you got there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so we're, I'm listening to this tape, and I'm like, well, who is this? And, and he says, oh, that's Miles Monroe. And so I'm listening more and more. And I said, can I borrow that tape? So he, he speaks on vision and purpose. And the more and more I began to listen to him, the more and more my life began to have meaning because although I was doing some good things, I didn't really sense that I had a, a purpose or a, a contribution that I was making. And so he challenged me in, within those videos to really look deep and dig deep and figure out, you know, why did God make you? Mm -hmm. You know, what's your purpose in life? You know, what's your role? What did you come to, what contribution did you come to make? How, how are your gifts and talents um, geared toward that. And so I just began to create this search uh, within myself and I wrote what's called a 2020 vision plan. And it's just, just my book, but it was it had um, my vision for my life. And so as I had a vision for where I wanted to be financially. I had a vision for my education. You know, I wanted to get at that particular time I wanted to become get my masters. Um, I had a vision for the position I wanted within the company. I wanted to become the VP. Of, uh, of the HR department. Um, I had a vision for, uh, you know, owning a business. I wanted to own three. Now, I don't know where the three came up. I think right. it, from the religious side, it probably came up from the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, mm -hmm. Trinity. <laughs> but, um, but I had all of this stuff written down. And so the things that I was trying to accomplish then at that time were all aligning with this vision plan that I had for my life. And, and it, when I say this vision plan made me love Monday mornings, you know, most people hate getting up and going to work on Monday mornings. I couldn't wait to go to work on Monday morning because I was just working on this plan. <clears throat> and in fact, um, I, the, Miles Monroe would always say, when you're really doing what you love to do, sleep becomes your enemy. You hate sleeping because I'm like, I need to get up and do something else, you know. Mm -hmm. Or in the middle of the night, you got a notebook by your bed because the thoughts are just pouring through your mind and you have to somehow be able to capture them. So, so all those things that I was, that was that was happening with McDonald's and um, and me, you know, working for the VP and everything. It was all part of that plan, and I think it was just happening because I was working that plan. <clears throat> so two, three years later, you finished Concordia. Yes. Uh, and it took another two years for you to leave Wisconsin Gas, right? Mm -hmm. So tell us what's going on uh, at Wisconsin Gas that you start part timing at McDonald's. Okay. So. I'll back up just a little bit. So I'm in Concordia's program, it's an adult program, so I'm going to school at night and uh, once a week. And I stopped for a minute, for a year, because I've been asked to be on the president's reengineering team. So I'm actually on the president's team and um, his team is a change management team. And it was pretty um, engaging and it took a lot of hours and so I just really didn't have time to, to do the school part. So I, for a year I just took off. And um, once I was done with that reengineering team, I had, um, it was a pretty high profile position and I was identified to, um, to run a department that they were creating. So I went right from there into uh, managing um, a department of internal and external consultants. So my VP um, says to me, well, you could pick your team. And um, 
I'm not going to tell you who to pick, but here's a few suggestions. And so one lady had a double master's, <coughs> excuse me, and she actually used to run the HR department. She was the director of HR. I'm like, you're asking her to work for me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't even have a bachelor's yet. Okay, so, I'm, so I picked this lady that has a double master's because I'm thinking, oh, she's going to really work hard for me, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, I pick others that have um, bachelor's degrees. And then I sit back and I think, you know, I got to really hurry up and get my degree so that I feel like I'm adequate. You know, I have this whole team and they're all, you know, um, just well educated. So I just rush back and I go and finish my degree at Concordia. <clears throat> in fact, in order to do it, I was taking classes at MATC and at Concordia. Um, I was taking um, electives at MATC and then I was also taking classes at Concordia so that I could graduate. And I graduated in 1996, mm-hmm. jumped right into a master's program and graduated in 1997. So I, I just felt I had to accelerate that. And just you were to the be first equal. class executive MBA. Right. So I had an opportunity to, um, to go to, uh, to be Marquette's alumni class, um, executive MBA class. But the story behind that is um, I always have this saying, because from my religious background, you have not because you ask not. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go to a master's program, and it was an executive program, which meant that your um, senior level people had to write a letter of recommendation for you. And then they had to be um, willing to pay for the class for you. And then also, um, uh, we went to school every other Friday, so they had to give you off on that Friday. And there was international travel involved because we studied, um, it was partially an international program as well. So I go to my VP and I say, hey, um, I'm interested in this program and it's at Marquette and, and it requires that I have a letter of recommendation written. He's like, okay. I'm like, okay, right. Um, and I said, well, there's another part to this story. And I said, he said, what? I said, well, I also have to um, um, see if the company will pay for it and it costs $30,000. And he's like, well, just budget for it. I said, budget for it? He said, yeah, just budget for it. And I said, okay. I said, I'll talk to you later. I had to hurry up and get out of there because I'm like, I don't know if you know what you just said, <laughs> but before you change your mind, <laughs> let me get out of here and go. And, and so I have to say that probably the, the program is an 18 month program. Probably for the first year, I didn't tell a soul I was in that program at the gas company because I'm like, somehow I'm thinking they're going to come and take this back mm. away from me. And, um, and actually, I found out that the only other person that was allowed to go to a program like this was the VP of Finance. So once people really found out I was in the program, it, the company had to create now a program um, that uh, allowed someone to go every year. You know, but I didn't care about it. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> You're in. You're in. But you were telling us, so, how, so you know, McDonald's comes calling you. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm in this um, MBA program, mm-hmm. and um, I actually have a friend that's from Milwaukee that works at McDonald's Corporation. And at that particular time, McDonald's was interested in having more African-American operators. And in Milwaukee at that time, there was only one African-American operator, Sherman Claypool. And Sherman happened to be in an elite group uh, that were like the first black operators in McDonald's, because we do have what's called a National Black Operators Association. So he was like a founder. Um, So we only had one here, and they were looking for operators in Milwaukee and Chicago. So she said, you should apply. And I said, oh, okay, I'll think about it. So while while I was in getting my MBA, um, I was researching McDonald's. And so it's funny because my cohorts would say, 
you know, we're, we're sitting here getting an executive MBA program or MBA education, you know, we're trying to be CEOs and COOs and, and you want to run a McDonald's? <laughs> I'm like, yes, you know. So um, once I was done with the program, I actually applied and I got accepted. And, um, and so part of the program is, and once you're accepted, is you have to um, work in the restaurant night, night and weekends. And they'll tell you, don't give your day job up. Because at any point in time, um, they can say, we're no longer interested in you. You can say you don't want to be a part of this program. So there's this agreement that, you know, you really don't have an agreement. And, um, and so what I did was um, I worked my day job, um, 50, 60 hours sometimes a week. And then on nights and weekends, I worked in the restaurant. And I remember thinking to myself, my team must think all I own is black and white because all I wore to work every day was a white shirt and some black pants. But they didn't know when I was leaving, I was going and putting my little tie on for McDonald's or whatever. <laughs> and the funniest thing though was, um, you know, you have to learn everything at McDonald's. When they're, when they're training you, they train you on every aspect of running a restaurant. So I was the fry girl, I was the grill girl, I did eggs. In fact, the guy that trained me on eggs, he one day became one of my supervisors and I said, now I'm gonna really get you back because you really made me train on eggs way too long. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so I'm working in a restaurant. Now I'm working front counter and I'm taking orders and I remember this one Saturday, people from the gas company come in. And I'm like, welcome to McDonald's, may I take your order? <laughs> and I'm thinking these people are probably wondering, why is she at McDonald's working? Is, has Debbie fallen on with hard times? With her MBA. With her MBA. Yeah. Has she fallen on hard times? <laughs> you know, what's going on? But I, I could never tell anybody that I was right. part of this program. So, so I'm working nights and weekends in the restaurant, and, um, and it probably wasn't until the seventh month. So the program is an 18 to 24 month program. And I said to myself, there's no way I'm gonna spend 18, 24 months doing this. So and it's a, you're a self-paced program. So I said 12 months is the most. So I did it in 11. And um, remember that theme? <laughs> <laughs> so I just did it in 11 months. And, um, and so I was like, um, okay, I just have to get through this program and, and figure it out. But it wasn't until month seven that I really said, okay, I can do this. Because all during that time, I'm evaluating too. Like, this is not easy. Um, and I have to say, part of their, um, their, um, their method, of, McDonald's method of seeing if, how you would work in the restaurant is they have what's called, I call it the killer weekend. So once you've filled out the applications and stuff, now they want to just throw you in a restaurant setting and see how you acclimate. They'll give you a few tasks that they want you to do. And the killer weekend means you work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And um, you go in at 4 p.m. on Friday, you work till close. You come back Saturday morning at about 10 and you work till seven, you do a mid, and then you come back Sunday and you open the restaurant at 5 a.m. So Friday I come in to, to do my, um, my killer weekend is really an on-the-job evaluation. And um, I have my, my hair is laid, I got my glasses on, <laughs> I got my cute jacket on, my Stuart Weissman pumps on, you know, I'm just, I'm just ready to be boss in the restaurant, right? And so I go in there and they say, okay, today you're working fries. <laughs> I said, oh, okay, okay. So I'm working fries for an hour, working fries for two hours, I'm working fries for three hours, and all of a sudden my hair's like melting. <laughs> my makeup is melting. <laughs> my feet are killing me, right? I'm just sweating profuse, profusely. So the next day I go back and I 
and I, I changed up that, I, I flipped the script then. I had a polo shirt on <laughs> mm -hmm. and some tennis shoes because I'm like, this is real work, right? And so, um, so when you're in the restaurant environment, you know, I was just evaluating, okay, can I keep up with this pace? It's, you know, it's, it's not like the corporate setting at all and mm -hmm. do I really wanna do this? Seven months I had, I had, I was in love with it. I had ketchup in my veins by that time and I was like, <laughs> I have to do this, I'm, I'm sold. So what I'm fascinated by, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of it, but not many of us, and maybe I'm speaking for myself, are willing to do our full-time jobs and then go work at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. You know, to, to do the work that a lot of us believe we, we have our jobs so that we don't have to. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you put in that work. Absolutely. And, and you, your reaction was, ooh, I love it. Mm -hmm. I want more. Absolutely, absolutely. That is, that is really special. So you're in. Now you've got to figure out how to actually buy a McDonald's, which is expensive. You know, everything it says, you know, the, it's a 45, nowadays it's a $45,000 franchise fee. It requires, uh, to start a McDonald's, it requires mm. liquid capital around 750000 um, the investment for building and and equipment is somewhere between one and two million dollars. You work at We Energies. <clears throat> you 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 have an executive MBA, but you just got it. How did you make it happen? Well, I had a four hundred one k too, <laughs> so um, so that helped. But I, I'm going to back up a little bit and, and say this. So I'm I'm doing this training um, at McDonald's and I'm working my full time job. And I remember, and I kind of got to the end of my training with McDonald's, and so you have to just keep your skill up and keep working in a restaurant. And I remember on a Friday evening, my VP called me and said, Debbie, um, I need you to come to a meeting Sunday, and it's confidential, so you can't share this with anyone. I said, okay. So I get to the meeting on Sunday, and it's the top 50 people of the company, so I was in that, that ranking. And um, they announced that We Energy was buying Wisconsin Gas. So, and of course, nobody's gonna lose their job, but if your company is being acquired, well, how many VPs of HR can you have? I'm quite sure the acquiring company's gonna leave their top leadership in place. So I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting. I'm glad I've been training you know, with McDonald's. And, and it was very emotional because you know, this is the 30 and out company. You know, most people thought that that's what would happen with them. So that was Sunday when we had this meeting. <clears throat> Monday morning, I went into work and at 9 a.m., McDonald's called me and said, Debbie, we have a restaurant we want you to buy and we want you to be in it in two weeks. Can you make that happen? And I said, absolutely, I can make that happen. I really said something else, but I can't tell you what I said. <laughs> 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 Wasn't quite that nice, but. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I had this vision that when I ever, when I bought my first McDonald's, I would, I would take off for three weeks from the job, relax, go on a vacation, you know, kind of chill and then just dive right in and, and begin running the restaurant. Well, once they said, do you want to be in this restaurant? I said, yes. Well, now I have to give a two weeks notice. Mm -hmm. I had to work the two weeks. And at the same time, build an infrastructure. I needed a bank account. I needed to create an, uh, um, a, a corporate account. I, needed, mm -hmm. I, I didn't have anything set up. So in this two weeks, I'm still hustling. And then on, after the two weeks, the very next day, I, here's the keys, run the restaurant. You know, and, um, and so it was crazy. Uh, but what, the one thing that McDonald's does is um, um, they're very good at giving you information about the restaurant, the finances, and 
um, how this restaurant makes money, the threshold. And, um, and when it came to purchasing the restaurant, I had all the, the things that I needed in terms of capital because I had invested in 401k. Um, but I had the advantage of um, them allowing me to do what's called a business facilities lease on the first restaurant. And that's where um, you don't actually do a purchase at that time. You do a lease, and you can do a lease up from one to three years, and then you do a purchase. So it allows you to build up capital within the first th um, three years to do a 25% downstroke. So basically they said, we don't want you to spend your money yet. You know, just all you need to do is make sure you set up these accounts, be able to purchase your food, and then we're gonna help you just build capital and cash. Now, it took some years later for me to finally figure out what was going on. And so um, there was a, um, a parity agreement with, with, with um, McDonald's, with the Black Owner Operators Organization that said that we're going to do a better job at making sure that um, the owner-operators look like the community, mm. you know, in terms of percentages. And that's why there was a, a thrust to, um, to actually have more African-American operators. So they didn't, you know, they, they wanted to make sure you had access to capital, you had what you needed, but they wanted to help you grow quicker as well. And so I had the advantage of timing, you know. I came in in the right time. That wouldn't happen today. It wouldn't happen at all. I don't want to discount the incredible amounts of hard work and talent that also let that moment oh, uh, yes, definitely. be a possibility. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we talk always about in, in scale-up conversations is about growth. Mm -hmm. And we often have these meet the masters with someone who started a business and who had to figure out how to make their business a viable mm -hmm. concern. Mm -hmm. You had the constraints of growing something mm -hmm that uh, everyone knew, that had very limited flexibility. You couldn't decide to make different cheeseburgers. You couldn't change True. recipes. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how you go in with a growth mindset when there's so little that you can change. How do you do it? Okay, so remember I had this 2020 vision plan, mm -hmm. right? So I'm always um, creating the plan. So I go into the um, regional manager's um, office for McDonald's and he says, okay, he said, what's your plan for your organization, Debbie? And I said, 10 and 10. And he said, well, what does that mean? I said, I want 10 stores within 10 years. And he laughs because that really doesn't happen. And I'm like, well. By the way, I just want you to know, look at what we're called. <laughs> 10 and 10. <laughs> you know this story there. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was my plan. I wanted, that's how many restaurants I wanted and that's the growth plan that I wanted for, for my restaurants. And so, so I get the first restaurant and, um, and I'm working that one and, and, and I have to build man, a management team. So I'm building a team and I have like eight to 10 managers in the restaurant and I'm also in that restaurant with them. And then I get approached again about another restaurant within a year, a year and a half. And you know, hey, we have another restaurant we want you to buy and um, you know, this is the time frame, you know. I'm like, okay, so now I'm training double managers within this. Now I have 16 to 20 managers within this one restaurant because I'm gonna take over another one down the street and I need to be able to split the staff. So I do that and I hire a supervisor because I can't be in two places and I wanna float back and forth. About a year later, I get pro approached again and it's, we need you to take two restaurants on one day I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> so now I'm doing, I'm training double, you know, eight more, eight to 10 more managers in this location, eight to 10 more managers in this location so that I can go in and take two more restaurants. Um, a year later, um, they come to me and they say, okay, we have another restaurant for you. I said, wait, hold up. 
<laughs> I said, I need to catch my breath. I need to build an infrastructure. I need to have enough people you know, um, in the pipeline because I need to develop people so that the restaurants run well. And, um, and so I said no at that particular time. And um, maybe three months later, they come to me again, same restaurant. I say no. I'm not ready, you know. And then um, they come to me again three months later, and I say no again. Um, the last time they came to me, the price, price had dropped about a million dollars. I said, well, I got to think about this. <laughs> so by the way, the, do that math. The price dropped a million dollars. The price dropped a million dollars. So it pays. Five years before, she has a job at We Energies. Now she's looking at things, and the price drops a million dollars. And so she decides to jump. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I got to think about this now. So, um, and I said, it pays to say no sometimes too. And so um, mm. I go to them and I said, okay, here's, here's what I need to happen. I said, because my issue is, is building the leadership team. That's, you know, you, you in inherit the employees. So I get the hourly employees, but I need a leadership team to go in there and, and, and manage this business. And so I asked them, it was a corporate store. I said, here's what I need for you to do for three months. I want you to leave the leadership team in place from the corporation. I'll cut back a check to you for that team. And that'll give me those additional three months to develop a team. And so that's how I took over um, that, fifth, that fifth restaurant. But I like to tell this little funny story too. So I, then I married an operator, another McDonald's operator, okay. Steve. So Debbie Allen, Steve Allen, you know, we were, we were a team. Steve had three restaurants, so we got married, and um, now we have eight restaurants, right? And uh, we go in and we meet with McDonald's, who's, um, who were pretty pissed because they didn't know we were getting married. But we got married, and what I didn't know was that um, there can only be one operator of record. So if you both are licensees, only one person's name can be on the, on the franchise documents. So McDonald's says, well, Debbie, that needs to be you. I said, okay, that's fine. And, um, and then they said, well, and now you have to create an entity. Because he had an entity, I had an entity. Now we need to create one where we can move the restaurants into this one entity. And my name is on all the documents for this. So he said, and they said, well, um, the structure of the entity is Debbie needs to be 80% ownership, have 80% ownership. Steve has to have 20. And Steve was fine with that as long as he could be president. I'm like, knock yourself out. <laughs> you can be president, I have 80%. <laughs> 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 I'll, be a, I'll be vice president, you know. So, so, you know, so we, we formed this entity and, then, and they're like, and by the way, we need you to take another restaurant. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so the restaurant was in our backyard. You know, it was a, um, a, a Walmart and it was very close to one restaurant. So you just don't want another operator in your market. So we took over um, that restaurant as well. And, um, and then maybe about five years later, um, um, I divorced Steve. I took all his stores. Um, <laughs> but we, we <laughs> kidding, not kidding. I always just say I'm kidding. But <laughs> I did divorce Steve and I did get all the stores, uh, but it was our agreement. So now I have all the stores, you know, and then I um, purchased one more and that's how I got the 10th restaurant. So. Which didn't take you 10 years though. Eight years, yeah. eight years. Remember mm -hmm. that? That thing that we're talking ten about? Ten Eight years. So we're, we're coming to the very end, and I'm sorry that I, I did all the talking. <laughs> of the many things that we've heard from you, one of them is that you are disciplined about setting a vision. Yes. Uh, I would love to hear your advice for all of us and, and everyone in the audience about um, how to do that effectively and how to make sure that we can 
live up to the visions that we set for ourselves. And what happens and how to react to the vision changing? Because your vision was vice president of Wisconsin Gas, and you became vice president of Nevada Corporation, right, with Tim McDonald's. Tell me, right. how do we do that? So this is kind of interesting. Um, so when I was creating my 2020 vision plan, I struggled with really understanding what my purpose was. You know, so you know, I, I knew there were certain, excuse me, certain things I like to do. So the one advice that I give to people is um, just begin to list what are all the things you want to accomplish in life and begin to put your vision down for those things. You know, it's, whether it's career-wise or family or education, put those things down. And then I begin to list under each um, category, who do I need to know? Do I need a mentor in this area to be successful? Do I need to educate myself in any way? Do I need to take any seminars or anything like that? Are there any books that I need to read? Are there any experiences that I need to go and, and, and acquire to be able to do this better? You know, whether it's volunteering, whether it's taking on a part-time job in that area just to test the waters and see how it feels. So for every category um, that I was interested in or vision that I had, I created this list of things to do and I worked that plan. Um, it's funny because um, I would speak back then at um, different places, whether it was church or um, just community groups, I would always talk about vision and purpose. Now, I'm struggling with vision and purpose, but what I knew about it was that once I was on this path and this plan, it was so invigorating that it just gave me meaning and purpose and a direction you know, to my life. Now, remember, I'm the religious girl. So I believe in tying religious principles into things. So the one thing I had always said was even in the Bible it said, write the vision down, make it plain so that those who read it can run with it. And many times those who read it need to be you first so you can run with it. I even said the same stuff in the, at the corporate boardroom table. They, just know I, they didn't know I was talking the Bible, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, it, it was just a principle. And so, um, so what I've f- figured out over time is sometimes you just gotta take action and do. You may not have the total picture yet, but begin to think of those things that you love to do, that you, you're talented in, and that you really aspire to do, and write those things down. It may not be perfect at first, because what I've learned over time is that McDonald's wasn't my purpose. McDonald's was just what I did, but it created a space and an arena for me to have access to things that I needed to have access to or to Im- impact people's lives. Um, at Wisconsin Gas Company, I gained leadership skills. At McDonald's, I really learned how to, to lead people, be an owner, understand financials. And, and now what I have is what's called my DNA network, mm-hmm. uh, which is my initials are DNA. And so DNA Network, which is about inspiring and compelling people to pursue their purpose and passion in life. And my main clients that I deal with are entrepreneurs. And so although that, that route that I took was necessary to help like entrepreneurs fulfill their passion of being able to run this business. So now I go in and I just coach and help people do the things that I had to do, set up infrastructure or you know, create um, a, a vision plan or a strategy. Um, I love the Jerry Jendusa's one-page plan, so I do a lot of that with people as well. And so you know, I think you gotta just start somewhere, forget about making it perfect. You know, action is more important than anything. Just being able to have a plan and, and taking action with that. Because that's what the vision does. It creates something that you, go, you can go and run with. Every organization needs it. And if you think about it, 
um, was uh, We Energy's vision back in 2020, 2012 is not the same probably vision that they have in 20 and 2018 you know so the vision evolves you know and as you evolve and grow and embrace it it, it gets even better and better and better so you know that will be my my recommendation I love it please join me in thanking Dr. <laughs> Debbie Allen Thank you.